Welcome to Movie Maker. I'm Tim Malloy, and I'm extremely excited about today's episode because this is an episode for screenwriters and people who love screenwriting. If you've ever Googled screenwriting competitions, you know that one of the most important and prestigious is the Nickel Fellowship. Every year, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, the folks who give out the Oscars, award up to five $35,000 Nickel Fellowships to amateur screenwriters. They're named in honor of British-born writer Don Nickel, best known for his work on sitcoms like All in the Family and The Jeffersons. Receiving a Nickel Fellowship is a huge career boost. Among past winners is Dustin Daniel Cretton, who has been in this podcast and talked about it, and co-wrote and directed Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, one of the biggest hits of last year. And while there are tons of articles online about how you can win a Nickel Fellowship, we thought it might be best to let the latest winners just tell you how they did it besides, obviously, being incredible writers. So, prepare to meet Laura Kosan, Byron Hamel, RJ Daniel Hanna, Karen De La Pena Collison, and Haley Hope Bartels. Their names and all of the loglines of their incredible scripts are in the notes of this episode. In just a moment, I'll let them tell you about their projects. Since this conversation, I've had the honor and pleasure of reading some of their work, and let me tell you, These are stories that are filled with passion and heart and are just so flat-out enjoyable to read. Also, we obviously have a lot of guests here. If you get confused about who is speaking at any time, despite all of our best efforts, go ahead and refer back to the article about the Nickel Fellowship on MovieMaker.com or just go with it and absorb all the information. Everything everyone says is extremely thoughtful and smart. If you do need to quote them in a book or something and you need to know who's who exactly, feel free to email me at tim.molloy at moviemaker.com and I will help you match voices to the names. Now, here's our conversation. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. So just to begin, I wonder if each of you could just give a brief summary of your name, a little bit about your background, and what your screenplay is about. Uh, my name is Daniel, and I am. I live in Los Angeles, and I was born in Canada, grew up in the South, so I've kind of been all over. And my script is called Shelter Animal, and it's about a female prison inmate who is starting to volunteer off-site at an animal shelter in order to try and get early parole. And she um, is trying to rehabilitate this pit bull and try and bring forth reforms within the shelter. But in the process of doing that, she kind of rubs a lot of people the wrong way and creates a lot of conflict for herself that puts her own career at risk, her own freedom at risk. Oh my God, pit bull people are so passionate about pit bulls and defending pit bulls. I feel like there's a huge built-in audience for that. That's great. Right there. You see mine? <laughs> oh, there's a pit. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> so cute. Oh my God. So I'm a big fan of Daniel's script, obviously. Uh, <laughs> uh, so Haley, why don't we go to you? Um, can you tell us about yourself and what you Sure. Yeah. So my name is Haley Bartels. Uh, I live in Los Angeles. I'm originally from Northern California. And my script is called Pumping Black. It is about an aging cyclist in the 1990s who, when he is presented with a dangerous offer from a team doctor, makes the decision to engage in blood doping. And the story follows his rise to success, but also his descent into madness. And it's loosely based on Macbeth. And I saw in your bio that you're a huge Neil Gaiman fan and like to write about murder. 
I love Neil Gaiman and I love murder. <laughs> and Karen, are you in Santa Barbara? No, but why do you ask? Did I say something about Santa Barbara in my bio? I thought there was a bit about there, yeah. Well, I mean, I did. I I lived there for a while, and uh, and in fact, I met my husband there, and so and I, my in-laws are there. So I'm very related to Santa Barbara, but it doesn't have anything to do with my screenplay. <laughs> I'm in West Hollywood. Oh, great. And um, and my screenplay is about a 14-year-old girl who is um, studious and uh, sheltered, and because of her father's shenanigans, her mother rips her away from her sheltered life and into the zany backstage world of the uh, bedroom farce. Hmm. I, it's, it's early morning for me still, relatively speaking, so I'm a bit blithery. Um, uh, uh, the bedroom farce, her mother is stage managing, where the girl experiences a scandalous sexual awakening, which makes both her mother and she come of age. Nice. And Laura. Yes. Hi, I'm uh, Laura Kosan, and um, I'm in New York City, actually. And my script is called The Ideal Woman. And it basically takes place um, during the Cuban Missile Crisis and is about this 1960s housewife and mother who used to be a wildly famous um, Hollywood actress who was actually blacklisted. So her career was cut short. And it sort of follows her through this week um, where this house of cards world that she's so kind of carefully cracked in, in terms of motherhood and family just begins to crumble in the face of this kind of existential threat. Um, I wrote it, you know, during lockdown, um, everything kind of about COVID lockdown really reminded, like just conjured this character for me in terms of just like the claustrophobia and the screaming silence, like just really, I saw so many parallels. So that was really a lot of what inspired it. Were there any real events that inspired it? That's a really cool idea. Oh, the, no. You mean like historic events? Mm -hmm. No, she's totally made up. Um, but the Cuban Missile Crisis, though, I did find this is another interesting time in history when like people thought that the world was going to end and it didn't sort of discriminate based in, on class or money. And this was at the beginning before the vaccine and before the cocktails and everything. But it, I, it just felt like the only other time in American history that you know that there was this like threat and you could do nothing about it and to me that's how covid felt in those first days it was like wow like none of us like the world seems it's going to end and we can't do anything about it so yeah that's an awesome idea um, also wait sorry just to brag but not only is that script on the blacklist this year laura also has a second script on the blacklist wow. this year yeah. like Yay. Congratulations, Laura. Wow. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Haley. Wild. Wild. Yeah. Oh, my God. No, I'm so proud. It's so exciting. Thank you. Thank you. Um, what's the second script? Um, that one's called From Little Acorns Grow, and it's actually also period. It takes place in the 1950s and is about... Um, this woman who's the president of a publishing house, which obviously was kind of unheard of for women back then. Um, but it ends up that she's this sociopath, narcissistic con woman who's actually says she's a champion for women, but is anything but. Oh, can I read it? I want to read that. Yeah, Absolutely, Byron. I want your notes. <laughs> okay, yeah. Send, send me an email right after this call. I, I will, I, I will. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So Byron. Tell us about yourself and your script. 
My name is Byron Hamel. My script is called Shade of the Grapefruit Tree, and it is about a boy who's being severely abused by his stepdad. And then his landlady gets him interested in science fiction. So he starts having this fantasy that he's becoming a robot, which empowers him to confront his abusive stepdad. And that's actually based on my true story, a true story of my life. I was raised by a psychotic killer who was given the death penalty by the state of California. You know, I saw that in your biography and I wasn't sure whether I would be able to find a way to bring it up that didn't seem insensitive. So thank you for bringing but, it up. That's- Yeah, don't worry. I'm, I'm very good at insensitivity. So I, I bring it oh. up myself every time. <laughs> no, you can, you can tell your own story. I just didn't want to pry about- about anything so yeah and then you moved to los angeles which sounds great but you ended up living in one of the worst gang afflicted areas in the, of the 1980s actually a uh, san bernardino and uh, i lived in a place called the guthries which was uh, the third most violent place in in all of the united states at the time um and this was in the late 80s i actually just wrote another screenplay about that about being like uh in my hood i was like the only white kid and uh, so I wrote this screenplay about being the only white kid in, in my neighborhood in the Guthrie's. And uh, it's a it's a really cool script and I love it. And I can't wait to start shopping that around, but yeah. So you and I are about the same age um, and I'm 46. I'm not, you know, an ingenue or anything. Um, and I always had this impression of Nichols that it's these like 21 year old kids who get out of NYU and write this incredible script and then their lives are set. And what I love about you guys is that not everybody, but a lot of you have had a good amount of life experience. Do you feel that the that the Nichols value that? I I don't know if the if Nichols values that necessarily, but I, I I feel like that is valuable no matter what. I think that life experience it gives you so many stories. Like, you know, I I fished salmon with my uncle in the Atlantic Ocean commercially, and he taught me what strength was. There's a script. Um, you know, I, I studied under this theater legend, Arif Hasnain, who is a legendary director in Canada. There's a script. I mean, because he was he was a fascinating guy. And, and you know, you live a lot of life. You get a lot of stories. I, I don't think you have to be old, but personally, I think it helps. I didn't call you old because that means I'm old. Oh, no, no, I'm much younger than you. I'm 44. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> way younger than you are. Yeah. What does everyone else think? Did your life experience help with these? I, I, I feel like also what's cool with Nickel that I don't know if you guys have found this, but what I just love is that like I had a few people who were judges like throughout the process, like email me just being like so happy I saw that you got to this place like, you know, um, love the script. And I found, I feel like it helps also to be like an old soul in terms of like your screenwriting and like what you bring to it, because I think there's just such an appreciation with this competition for like the true craft of like screenwriting and those like capital M movies and just, you know, the, just that old Hollywood thing that I personally love so much that I feel like has made this competition just that really special pie in the sky sort of competition always, because I think it's just that appreciation for like movies and what movies have always been about and great storytelling and screenwriting. So I don't know if like that answers the life experience question, but I think it is this sort of like old soul kind of vibe that I feel like I, they really saw me, which I just loved. 
Yeah, writing about the 50s and 60s, certainly. Yeah. <laughs> what does everyone else, what does everyone think? Um, well, um, I am definitely the senior member here. And I, um, I, I, I this was my first feature and I, it, it, it was inspired by uh, aspects of my life, but aspects that I couldn't, I needed perspective on. I needed perspective, I needed, for one thing, I needed a lot of people to be dead, which is a gross <laughs> thing to say, but it's really true. So nobody can go, um, and uh, also just so that I had distance. And uh, so, yes, I, it definitely has helped me and um, I, I always think life experience, as Byron put it, you know, it's just there. Your life is filled with stories, no matter how big and how small they are. I, I know you had experience with theater, but this was your first feature and you got nickels? I know, I know. It's, it, it, it's still absurd. I'm still pinching myself. No, it, it is. It's just... But I mean, I'd written, I'd written prose. I'd just never written a script before yeah. of any kind, theater or, 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 or movie. So I, I think I was just a bit phobic about it. I thought, oh my God, this is so technical, which it is. Yeah. Screenwriting is very technical. But I, I, I worked with somebody who, while she's definitely a coach who, who talks about, you know, act one, act two A, act two B, that all makes my eyes cross and um and she was fine with that i mean she could go back in and analyze it and say okay when i reach that because i think having been an actress for from basically my whole life since i was very young you have an innate sense of timing you don't i didn't i don't really need the 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 the, the analytical structure spelled out to me mm -hmm. um as, as much as I might have done when I was younger and less experienced, maybe. It just came innately. Well, anyone is free to jump back to the life experience question or the old soul perspective, but I did want to ask about that. Are you all structure nerds um, or do you kind of go by Haley, hand raised? Oh, I love structure. I love structure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, definitely. And I've watched like some of their eyes glaze over when I talk about it. I'm obsessed with it. Like I can, I can talk for the rest of our 45 minutes about why Finding Nemo is a flawlessly structural film. Mm -hmm. And like not all of Pixar, but most of Pixar. Um, yeah, I have a, a big whiteboard in my living room. I, when I'm starting a feature, I put my, my nine beats up. Um, I, you know, I really think about how every single beat relates to theme because yes, we're, like we're talking about structure, but for me, structure is pointless if it doesn't inform the theme. So uh, if for example, we are gonna talk about finding Nemo a little bit. If Marlin's flaw is that he, um, he, he is a fearful person, right? He is a, a fearful fish. <laughs> He's a fish that's full of fear. Every single beat of that structure has to challenge him to overcome that flaw and to move from a place of fear into a place of trust. And, you know, the midpoint reflects that beat, every single beat like totally reflects that and is crafted to push that character on that journey. And for me, that's, 
the joy of screenwriting and the joy of watching something and being like, not just, oh, wow, they did that perfectly, but looking at something and being like, why didn't that beat work for me? Mm -hmm. Oh, it's because the midpoint reversal was a purely plot-based thing and had nothing to do with the character's emotional journey. So for me, it really is like an art and craft thing that for whatever reason, my brain loves it. Like I, I love the, the math of structure. Mm. Daniel. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's interesting because for me, it's like uh, I kind of, I guess I love structure in a way, but it's the part that I hate the most. Like, I think it's a useful tool, but for me, it's very much about trying to write instinct, like from a place of instinct and like a place of getting it out, which also I think is something where sometimes the more you think about it, this was a script I rewrote a lot and the structure tools helped me with that because I wrote the first draft many years ago. Um, but for me, it's like, you don't want to, and obviously it's just myself, but like, I don't want to think about structure early on because I don't want to put myself into a box or, or, you know, limit myself. Well, I can't do this because, because of this reason. And I tend to write from trying to get all the stuff I like about the world and the story and the characters out there and then think, okay, these are things that really interest me about this. How can they move structure forward? Otherwise they're not going to fit. Like you, like they can't just be in a side scene that's just interesting or exciting or whatever if it doesn't fit the theme, you know, if it doesn't fit in with the structure, that kind of thing. And then you're figuring out what are the mechanics of this thing that I like that actually move the story in the right direction. And for me, that finds a place of, of being able to be creatively free, you know, and and just like go with something and then also rein it back in so it's not just a bunch of tangents. Okay. Yeah. How much- I, I, I think I, um, I, 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 I'm sort of salivating a bit by what um, Haley says, because I, I do like the whole sort of aspect of, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I, I edit like crazy. I did a lot of dramaturging and things. And while I couldn't name what uh, Haley was just talking about, reversals, I mean, I've, I, I, I look forward to being able to, I look forward to being able to make that, um, to make that blend of, of instinct and structure and, and see how they marry. Because uh, I know they will, I know, I know the penny will eventually drop. It's like any new art you learn, whether it's dance, which I did for years, and you finally go, oh, that's how you pirouette, you know, and that, that sort of thing. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. I think maybe I'm going to move in with Haley and her dog. And her boyfriend won't mind. I'm very good company. We will be besties. That's a movie right there, too. <laughs> Possibly a comedy. Definitely a comedy. A murder mystery. And a murder mystery. Uh, I don't mean to drive. I'm kind of trying to solve the, the question of what did you all do right? Um, besides being really good writers. Um, but have you just spoken among, amongst yourselves about why us? Why do, you, why do we think we got in? I mean, I have read, we've all read each other's scripts and obviously they're phenomenal, phenomenal. And they're all so different, um, you know, in terms of their content. I think what they had in common for me was they all really made me feel things, mm -hmm. which yeah. is like something you hear time and time again, like, 
I mean, for Daniels, I was sobbing by page 20 because there's a thing with a golden retriever. I'm a dog person, but even if I was not a dog person, I think I would be just crying. Like everybody's made me really, really feel something. Um, and they're all, they're all kind of in the like Oscar category movies. So I think that there's sort of that, um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's impossible to sort of discount the fact that our odds of getting this thing are astronomical. And we just kept rolling. I don't know if anyone plays Dungeons and Dragons, but we all kept rolling net twenties. Like we got a reader who loved the script. They passed it on to another reader who loved the script. I, the same day that I found out I made finalists, I was also told I didn't advance for another competition. Didn't even make it to second round. So it's, I think it, something that I've really been trying to think about is the fact that this script would be just as good if it hadn't won the nickel. And I think that people get discouraged sometimes when they've been submitting and they're not getting sort of the feedback that they want. Like, yes, hard work is important. Yes, having a great script is important, but you just have to keep doing it until you find your lucky combination of readers. I also think, um, I think it is, definitely like a com lucky combination of readers but I also think um that there's something I've completely forgotten my thought I will come back to that <laughs> I, completely not I, I also in terms of everyone's script and Karin just tell me uh anytime you want to jump in on what I'm saying <laughs> but like I think with each person's script it when you say deeply personal like everyone's just felt deeply personal and not in a way like this has happened to me like yes Haley has stuff in her family with cycling like Byron obviously you know this was um his life but like personal in the way that it just felt like everybody like put their guts onto the page and if each person's name was a script like this script would be their name like I can't explain it. that's the feeling that I got and I know that that for mine, even though it's about a 60s housewife, it's like very personal, which is odd, but like everybody knows as writers, like your work can be like that. Like a story doesn't have to be you, but it can just be super personal to you. Um, and that's just how everybody's felt to me, just in terms of the passion on the page, the voice, like the intention, everything was just stellar. Um, and, you know, I think that that's a big part of getting this far also, in my opinion. In addition to yeah, everyone I think, here being so wildly talented, you know. And I think I think what I was going to say was um, I don't know at what stage the uh, the the nickel readers and committee get to read what you write about your own script, mm. but I think that that has to have factored in. Um, if I was a reader. Uh, I would, I'd want to get a feel for the human being. Um, I, I, I think um, everybody's used different language, but I think what comes through really strongly for me in any good script is love. Mm -hmm. Even for the odious characters, there is a real sort of appreciation and curiosity, um, which is, you know, our, our fundamental ingredients for love. And if that also comes through in what you write about your own script, it has to make a difference. And this, and this industry is so made up of relationships. So being willing to kind of crack your heart open and say, 
okay, to take take a look in not just in my in the script that I've written, but why I've written it may have been the contributing factor. I just don't know exactly where that information came to play. It definitely came to play, I think, before the committee read all our scripts. Mm. Uh, because we they gave us lots of long form stuff to 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 write. Remember lots of all these long form questions we had to we had to write. So it definitely came up there. Anyway, that's that. I, I love that point about love so much and being able to sort of see every character from their own perspective. Um, do you all feel that that is, well, let me try to phrase this a different way. There's always that question about, does your character have to be likable? Does your character have to be um, on the right side of things? Do they have to be a good person? Um, obviously you have people who are doing blood doping, which is questionable. Um, I don't imagine the abuser in Byron's script is sympathetic, but I don't know. Um, how do you all handle well, My protagonist isn't necessarily sympathetic either. I mean, my, my protagonist for all, um, for, for, for as interesting as, as he is, uh, I, I find him somewhat unrelatable in terms of like regular humanity that most people would look at that character and go, oh yeah, he's doing the right thing. Yeah, I think but, most I mean, people would look at that Byron, character. But when Sorry? you read Byron's script, your heart just breaks <laughs> immediately, especially once you get into, you know, the, the actions he takes to, to, to survive. It's just, it, so yes, definitely relatable. Yeah, it, while, while alien, I, I, think, uh, I think that you're, you you have to be compassionate for that character whether it's uh whether it's someone that you think is good or not you know and he is kind of you right yeah but you also have three daughters and you've you've seen them grow up and you've had the perspective of being on the outside of a child and trying to figure out what they're thinking how did that inform it it informs it in the way that uh, it's retrospective. You know, when I look at my life growing up and saying, I don't want to be like the people that abused me. For example, by the age of 30, I needed to have moved well beyond the programming that I was given by the psychopathic killer that raised me, or I wasn't going to have kids. You know, that would have been a really stupid decision to have children at that point, because I would have abused my kids, you know? So I needed to get right with myself and that journey is what I'm describing. Only I put it on a nine-year-old, you know, on, on the kid. I can't remember how old he is in this script, like nine to 11, something like that. But, uh, you know, I put it on the shoulders of me at that age, where instead of showing this journey, this epic journey through, you know, from being 10 to being 30, uh, just put it all on that kid and have the kid learn it all then. And I did become fairly robotic and I did become fairly... Um, I was, I was able to cut off my emotions. I was able to cut off my feelings momentarily in certain situations so that I wouldn't, uh, my, my temper wouldn't fly off the handle or I wouldn't become impatient with my kids or, you know, I could take them screaming in my ear when I have a, when I have PTSD. I mean, it's very difficult. It's very difficult when you have kids screaming in your ear and you have complex PTSD, you know? Well, you are also making documentary films and writing a script that was good enough to get into Nickel. Um, did anyone else have incredible limits on your time? It just incredibly difficult, just scheduling obstacles to overcome or other obstacles? 
I think that was the blessing of the pandemic. Yes, yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just started writing features when the pandemic hit. So like, uh, I mean, I think I wrote a, a feature back in 2008 that was just a total piece of crap. And I thought, well, I'm not a good screenwriter, so forget it. Uh, and uh, then, you know, I was doing unscripted stuff and uh, stuff that was uh, more kind of documentary oriented. Like I followed around a group of bikers for a year that protected abused kids, the uh, guardians of the children. And I did a documentary on them. And, and that was that was great, you know, and it informed my perspective in life and everything. But I, one of the things that you notice when you're a documentarian is you, you have these powerful moments that you wish would happen and they never happen and you can't sort of fake it because then it's like, you're the guy that's pretending that something is real, right? Uh, so you, you end up making these artistic inclusions, someone dancing or somebody, uh, some kind of beautiful music or some photos of nature that reflect the theme of your documentary. Uh, you know, if your documentary is about kids going missing and no one giving a shit, and you've got footage of some, some goslings trying to get up on a bank and the other goslings helping them up onto the bank, well, that, that tells your story for you. But you never had that magic moment in your documentary that where that would happen. So you work with your composer, you work with those ducks or those, those geese that you get and you end up with this magic moment. But when you're writing a script, you can just make up whatever you want. You know, like when I was a kid, I turned into a robot and I kicked my abuser's ass. I mean, obviously I didn't turn into a robot and kick my abuser's ass, but I, like, I wish that I could have. And uh, so I went ahead and I wrote that. Um, I've written five features and two pilots since the beginning of the pandemic. And this was, this was the one, the only drama that I've written. It was the only thing I've ever submitted to the nickel. And there you go. How much has everyone else written? Probably 10, maybe 10 features yeah. starting like in, like after, right after I graduated high school, which, which will never be read <laughs> even by myself. But you have two produced features, right? That have done very well. Is it two? Uh, I, I technically have a, yeah, I technically have a very, very indie feature that I made while I was in college. And then I have a feature that I directed that I did not write. Um, and so then, so kind of really now is when I'm feeling like, okay, now I'm trying to make, make the things that I've written as a mature writer. And Laura, two scripts in the blacklist right now. How many other scripts are floating out there? Um, three other features uh, that I kind of actually am sort of like Byron. Like I sort of got my start a bit before the pandemic started. And so it's been like five features. And uh, and uh, before that, I actually, like Daniel, I made like an ultra low SAG budget, like comedy um, and then two pilots. But yeah. Wow. And Haley, you seem very prolific. Do I? Do I give you that vibe? <laughs> well, just on your bio. <laughs> um, yeah, well, that's the point of the bio, isn't it? <laughs> um, yeah, so I, uh, I come from a prose background. I actually didn't start writing scripts until I applied to AFI in 2017. Um, and since then, yeah, since, since 2017 is really how long I've been writing scripts. I have... Oh my gosh, let's see, probably four features, five, 
five features um, and two pilots that I'm happy to share with people for human eyeballs to read. But um, yeah, you know, just always, always plugging away, always getting better. And we'll see. I always feel like the, the current thing that I'm working on is like the best thing. And then looking back like two features, it's like, oh God. <laughs> but at the same time, like having compassion for the younger, more, the less experienced self. <laughs> but I, I think even, even so, like if people look at your old stuff and, and they're in that mindset and they're there, they're going to love it anyway. So it's like you wrote that in that part of your life and there's going to be an audience for that somewhere if, you know, as long as you're not too embarrassed to show anybody, I think, you know. Oh, I love that. That's great. I love that. I'm going to take that and carry it with me. <laughs> but I mean, I'm going to market the stuff that I wrote that I don't think is that great. <laughs> I'm going to go Get ahead that and do coin, it. You know? Get or, that coin, honey. Or update it, update it with the new knowledge, you know, why not? Yeah. I, I spend a, not a lot of time, but occasionally take a look at screenwriter Twitter. Is anybody like part of screenwriter Twitter? Is anybody active on social media? I got rid of my you Twitter are. this I've seen year. <laughs> I, I put, I like started a Twitter because of Nickel, basically. I'm not sure. <laughs> because I was just like, I saw this like community of writers on Twitter and people talking about Nickel. And I wanted to see like what was going on with Nickel. So that was actually like when I started going on, but I'm so, I don't like, I'm pretty sure all my tweets are just retweets. <laughs> I, I actually made a Twitter a long time ago that was for my, I, I put out this book of poetry for free. Uh, that, that was just this ebook that was poetry based on, you know, pulling out this, these really beautiful moments from the cheesiest movies that I'd ever seen. You know, I would have these, like, I would have these beautiful uh, things about Swamp Thing, you know, regrowing his arm and the little beam of sunlight coming down, which was one of my favorite, you know, and uh, I just all these stuff, Action Jackson, all this stuff that I loved, you know, growing up, I was like, I'm going to find the beauty and I'm going to convey to people why I like these fucking films, because I think they're just so fun. And the people that I talk to are artsy, you know, and they're like, no, Action Jackson, what's that? You know, and nobody knows what these films are. And I'm like, but you should know why how, you've never seen Beverly Hills Cop. You don't know why Axel Foley is poetic. You should know. And so but but anyway, no one was interested in this book. Absolutely nobody wanted to read it. I would send it to my friends for free. And they were like, yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe I'll maybe I'll puke on that when I'm drunk and uh, but but they you know it like no one wanted to read this thing and so so I was like okay so Twitter became then it was like Twitter is for Trump followers and I was like fuck Twitter and so so I got rid of it and then you know won the nickel and I got back on the nickel and I was like or when it when I won the nickel I was like okay I should open my Twitter page again and uh, <laughs> and still nobody cares but but uh, but I'm on it again at least so it's called movie poetry. Follow me. I will. Uh, is it safe to say that social media is a drain on the time that you would spend? Are you better off just writing instead of procrastinating on social media or talking about how log lines should be formatted or something? Yes. <laughs> That's my simple answer. No, for me, the reason why I 
deleted my Twitter earlier this year, Byron, for the same reason, like, because it was like, so Trumpy and angry a lot of the time. Um, yeah, it, uh, there were better ways to procrastinate. I feel like it cannot be good for your brain to, and this is just me, but I feel like it cannot be good for your brain to just be like snapping back and forth from, oh, here's a cute picture of a puppy. Oh my God, here's another horrible instance of uh, the police being racist. Oh, look, another puppy. Yeah. You're doing something wrong with your screenplay if you're not doing these five things. Like, I, especially screenwriting Twitter, I, I find, I found to be extremely prescriptive mm-hmm. um, and not not very helpful um, because these people aren't reading your scripts. They're speaking from their own experience, which is great. But if there's anything that I've learned from reading all of these beautiful people's scripts, it's like, you know, each one is a, a beautiful snowflake. And if I tried to put my rigid structure, you know, thought process onto Karin's script, I would fuck up her script. Like she, she knows that world. She knows her story better than, than even, you know, me who I now know it very well. Um, certainly better than some random dude on Twitter. Who's like, mm, I was once a quarter finalist in this thing. Let me tell you about how to do an active protagonist. So that's just my two cents. But yes, procrastination, I have found video games to be very helpful because at least it's just one thing you're focusing on. For me, it's audiobooks. Oh, that's great too. That's my addiction, yeah. And and that also enriches my, you know, keeps my language and syntax and all the rest because that's that's very important to me. Keeps that, you know steady mm-hmm. but i'm looking for screenwriting twitter i don't know what any of you are talking about. yeah i didn't know what that was either. <laughs> i didn't know that that was like a thing like screenwrite and then i saw like when i went on and i was looking at nickel that there was this kind of community i mean i think instagram can be interesting because i'm like a super visual writer so i feel like probably all of us like when you're on twitter like you're just seeing so many words and like kind of what you like your medium. And I think sometimes it helps to switch the medium. So I love, like, I take so much inspiration from photography in terms of like my work. So, um, you know, I love Instagram just for that. Um, so that's something with social media that can be interesting is finding, you know, inspiration in like unlikely places. I also love like fiction podcasts and Something like that kind of, I'm like a very immersive writer. So I like to really get lost in like a world and a story. Um, so yeah, I, I legit just put dad jokes on my Instagram and like, like, seriously, it's just, if you go to my highlights, it's just like endless, ridiculous puns and like pictures of cheeseburgers with smiley face cheese. And uh, I don't know, like, I don't know how to use this stuff. Just try to get people interested in me, just either be interested in me or don't, you know, I don't know. Well, one, one thing I saw on screenwriter Twitter is someone who, and I'm using that as like kind of a joking phrase, um, but someone who'd gotten a really, a, a note that just puzzled them and really bothered them and a lot of people, which was in her screenplay, she had referred to someone as unhoused and the judge had said, this is political correctness run amok, just say homeless. And it just got to the question of who do you, write for or do you even try to play the game of anticipating the leanings of the person who's going to read it do you try to write 
in a way that's going, do you know what I'm, does, does what I'm saying even make sense? Do you sort of try yeah. to play that game or you just be yourself? And I'm not saying it's a game to like respect, to, to address people respectfully. I'm saying the game of trying to sort of game out this, the, who was my judge going to be. I think when you write that draft and you bleed your heart out onto the page, you can't be thinking about anyone. You know, you can't be thinking about anybody. You got to be thinking about the strength of that story. And that is it. And then, then once you've got that out, then you go over and you say, okay, so I want to, <laughs> I want maybe this person to be cast in it, or I want maybe this other person to be cast in it. And also I don't want to do harm to the world. You know, I don't want to exacerbate this issue with, with the growing problem of racism in America. I don't want to fucking do that. I don't want to be part of that. So yeah, I'm going to go and I'm going to be sensitive. And I'm going to say, I want this to be, you know, I do want this to not be part of the problem, you know, and it won't necessarily be part of the growth of the world or anything like that. Because the, the, to me, the loyalty is always to the story. But I think that you do have to pay attention to who, who the audience is and what it is that they're going to click with and respond to. And I feel like if you, you know, if I was writing something for, you know, if I was writing something for these guys that, that fund horrible stuff, then I, I would write it their way. And uh, if I'm going to write something from my heart, I'm going to write it my way. And my way is about healing the world. And I'm not interested in, in uh, being a dick just for the sake of being a dick, you know? And the, and the thing about writing a screenplay or even writing you know, fiction, you can get your characters to be dicks. You can yeah. get them to say the dicky stuff and then yeah. argue about it. And that's, that's where it becomes a lot of fun. You can't think about, I find like, and I feel like you guys feel the same way. I agree with Byron. It's like, you can't think about anybody else when you're, you know, writing that script because it's just not, it just won't be authentic then, I think. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's just not even an option. And I will say to just add on to all of that, it sounds like this particular writer who chose to be specific and kind and speak with words that convey dignity to yeah. people, they did the right thing. And this reader sounds like a fucking dick who yeah. was looking for a fight. <laughs> Honestly, it sounds like the person who, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, projecting, <laughs> but uh, you know, it, it's never a mistake to treat even your, your, you know, least prominent characters with, with dignity. And if that reader wasn't able to look past a word that triggered them, I assume they're a conservative snowflake, it, this word triggered them and they weren't able to look past it to see, you know, the, the rest of the story, that's, that's their loss. And I, I really feel for that writer who probably paid 60, 70, hundred dollars to get into that competition and had a reader that wasn't able to give their script a fair read. But yeah, I mean, yeah, just to add on to what everyone is saying, it's never a mistake to, to write from your heart and to write from your values. And if you're, doing that you're always going to piss someone off but that's what you should be doing yeah and to clarify that's what i meant as well like i don't want it to sound like i'm saying that she that this judge like that the judge but the the writer is right that that judge is an asshole so i just mean that you should write just for for you you know don't like worry about people that are going to give you comments like that that are just inane yeah 
<laughs> just when you think you're only getting five paragraphs of feedback and one of the paragraphs is that, it's just like, what? No. Um, but also when you get, when you get, uh, I have lots of characters in my, in my piece, but I only have a few, you know, really important characters. And, and some of the, some of the um, feedback you get sometimes, they, they don't even know the names of the characters or, or, they, or they give, they attribute the wrong actions to the wrong characters. So, you know, they're just skimming. They're not reading it, Karen. They're not reading it at all. I, th I think half the people that gave me notes on the scripts I submitted were not reading it. I spent 1400 bucks. Me and my girlfriend and I spent $1,400 this year, right, on script notes from different things to see if their notes were any good. And there were people who had no idea. And you, you knew because you had evidence. And the evidence was stuff like, maybe you should put a montage on there. I'm like, motherfucker, I had three montages in this movie. You did not read this script. You know, and th there was a lot of issues like that where um, you could just tell they had not read it. Or there was somebody, it's like, uh, you know, you give a junior high kid an assignment to read a, a book and they come and they just bullshit their way through. It's exactly like that, you know, or, you know, they'll be like, sharks are the they're very fierce and they're they're in the ocean and they'll eat you if, if they think that you're a seal and and they'll just go on about this stuff and you're like there's nothing about sharks in my screenplay and this analogy is bullshit and you you know it's just a cut and paste and they're telling everyone the same thing and it's obvious i'm sorry karen i didn't mean to take away from from what no, you I were saying I, I just i feel like they are a scam you know, I feel like it's a money industry. They're preying on desperate writers. Stop giving them your shit and stop giving them your money. Well, well to that, that I will say, speaking of, of money, this is a screenwriter Twitter thing that has sort of splashed onto me, but um, those readers are not making a lot of money to read your script. In fact, there's one that, and maybe this was where um, Tim, the, the comment that you referred to maybe came from if it's recent, but there, there's one very prominent screenwriter competition that actually relies entirely on unpaid volunteers. So these people are not even being paid. They're, I don't think, being vetted often. And a lot of the time, even sort of the highest paid ones, I know for a long time, have been like $30 to read your script. And I don't know about for you guys, but for me to, to read a script, it's some like th with a certain sense of thoroughness, it often takes two to four hours of my time. And yeah. if you're just trying to, if you're being paid by the script and just trying to burn through as many as possible to, to get those, those 30 bucks per script, you're not giving them a fair read. And that is more systemic, I think, than anything. But the Competitions pay your readers, pay them. But the, yeah, but, the, uh, yeah. but the readers, the nickel readers, uh, did anybody else pay for the nickel reader feedback? Absolutely, I did. It was they, Those were great notes. Oh my God, it was Yeah, fun. those were exceptional, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we have 10 minutes left. Um, and I just wanted to ask, is there a particular screenplay that any of you read that really just opened a door for you? Or... Or, or you can answer both. Is there a screenplay this year that you just thought was particularly excellent? Uh, or Ricardo's. Mm -hmm. mm. Ricardo's. I mean, I, th I, 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 I'm a member of BAFTA, so I watch 
loads and loads and loads of films to vote. But, uh, I mean, you know, it's just Aaron Sorkin. He knows how to structure a script. He knows how to take a piece of fluff, because being Ricardo's is a piece of fluff, and just make it into a dynamic, you know, suspenseful, enjoyable uh, romp. And he did that. That's successful for me. I'm going to go with the most recent, uh, The Power of the Dog. That, that was fucking yeah, blew that's me out sad. of the water, man. That was an amazing script, amazing performances. Benedict, oh come on, man! Every everybody in that, everybody in that was was just swinging for the fences, and everybody nailed it. You know, Kirsten, Jesse Plemons. My God, what a Did film! That, didn't that come from a book, Byron, or a short it, story? I yeah, believe it's right. adapted. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I'm thinking more of original screenplays because mm -hmm, if mm -hmm. you have piece of material already then you've got some of the structure already handled i have uh two two recent ones i absolutely loved spencer for a couple reasons first of all i think it's incredible when a writer and director i mean the in, the movie was incredible take like have the creativity and it's something that i always want to be able to do as a writer have the creativity to take you know this true story um and this huge you know, part of history and like make it your own. In the beginning of the movie, it says something, you know, don't quote me, but it says something like, this is a fable based on a, on a true tragedy. Mm -hmm. And to have, just as a writer, the vision to do that is, I just think is so smart and so incredible. And just visually it was, you know, unbelievable. And I've been wanting to like find that screenplay to see like how the script literally transferred the screen. And then I also will say, and I don't know who watches this show, but I love the show. Um, I saw the, this sounds so cliche, but I saw the finale of Succession last night and I thought it was some of the best, that show is always some of the best writing that like I've ever encountered, but this finale was just like nothing I've ever seen um, writing wise. So those are my two reasons. <laughs> that, that question, are you excited about the future? Absolutely haunts me. Don't, don't, don't spoil it. I haven't seen oh. the last episode okay. yet. Okay. Well, I got a car and I'm so excited for you. It's <laughs> donkeyless. Like, whoo. Yeah. Oh, God. Tim, we should like talk afterwards. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Daniel? I used, yeah, I used to read a ton of scripts. I guess I'll go farther back. Um, and I think it's really important to read a lot of scripts because for me, it was probably reading like the Coen Brothers scripts and just seeing the dialogue on the page you know, and it teaches you a lot to see it on the page and you'll realize, you know, a speech isn't like this long thing. Like a speech is like four sentences that an actor takes and makes into something, you know, brings all the nuance out of it and things like that kind of teach you how to write efficiently, I think. And another one was um, like actually reading the Sopranos pilot hmm. uh, because on, it's so clever like there's so much humor in it, but it plays it so straight. And when you read it on the page, you realize like it kind of leaps out because you you almost have this feeling like they could have made it like analyze this if they'd wanted, you know, because there's so much back and forth, little jabs and humor, especially in the therapy scenes. And it's just fascinating to go, wow. So that's what it was like. That's what it, that's the bones of it, you know, that then they put all this truth and authenticity and they don't ever lean into the humor and so it's just funny and clever and real and and things like that i think are really informative to to go back to the original 
drafts and, and see it. Yeah. Haley? Uh, yeah, I'm going to give two answers also a little bit farther back, I think. Uh, so I reread all five episodes of Chernobyl by Craig Mazin probably once a year. Um, I think that is just a masterclass in screenwriting, not just from a thematic perspective, which of course it is. The, the theme of the show is the first line and the last line of the series. What is the cost of life? And every scene in that show is exploring that theme, the cost of life. And I, I just think it's, um, it feels forged. It feels like a show forged in iron and the craft of it is just spectacular. So from a thematic perspective, but also just on the page, he is so efficient with his action lines. Um, you know, he'll, he'll just put like a reaction instead of being like, you know, Legasov uh, is surprised. Legasov is shocked. He'll just put, oh God. And that is the action line. And it is efficient. Oh. It is brilliant. It tells you exactly what he's feeling, what you're seeing, what you're seeing. Like I have learned so much from those scripts. Um, and then the other one I'll say is a feature that, uh, you know, I, I could think of, it's not a Pixar feature, but everyone should go read those two or at least watch them. Uh, Grand Budapest Hotel. Huh. Oh, nice. Gorgeous screenplay. It is a gorgeous mm -hmm. screenplay. Just even, I mean, the film is great too, but just as a, considering the script as a finished product. And I think it's a great example of being able to break screenwriting rules if you are good enough because Wes Anderson, his, some of his action paragraphs are like six lines deep. And of course at film school, they're just like, if you do that, we will behead you in front of the entire screenwriting class. Don't do it. But they are so poetically written and so engaging. And the language itself is so staggeringly beautiful that you are reading every single word. The reason you can't do it most of the time is because most of us are not that good <laughs> and an executive will check out while they're reading it. There's also like the auteur factor, but like ignoring that, um, it, it's just a beautiful script. It's just a beautiful script. And the, the script has to be amazing to read. Like you can't just be like, well, this is a blueprint for a movie, which I've heard a lot of people talk about, you know, but I, I think that, I think that you got to make sure that the people reading it are with it a hundred percent the whole time. And, uh, and if you're not doing that, in my opinion, you're absolutely doing it wrong. If you're trying to do what other people do and what you've seen other people succeed with, again, you're doing it wrong. You should do it like you, you know, don't, don't pull, don't pull from other people and full transparency. I'm an idiot when it comes to, uh, script writing. I don't know anything about the script writing world. Nothing. I've never heard of screenwriters, Twitter. I didn't know what the blacklist was. Congratulations, Laura. I mean, uh, but I, I didn't know what it was. I don't know anything about, about the literary world of, uh, of writing movies. Nothing. What I do know is how to make people feel stuff, you know, on a, on a page. And I think that's the most important thing. I mean, if you're going and you're saying the, all these people you know, here and there and, and everywhere can help me learn how to write a script. You, you need to know yourself. You need to become a person who resonates all of your emotions, you know, who like, like with whoever it is that's reading. You need to learn how to be a ballet dancer 
who can who can connect with someone in the audience heart to heart. But when you're writing, you know, you need to be a bass player that knows that no one gives a shit about you. But that bass line is buzzing your chest, right? Like that drives the song. And uh, that that to me is that visceral nature of storytelling is is what it's about. You can be an idiot like me and make an amazing screenplay. <laughs> yeah. I think that's beautiful. And I appreciate so much everything that everyone has said, but I just want to see, is there anything that anyone came in here wanting to get across? And because my questions were limited or I had a blind spot or something, you didn't get to say it. Well, I would just love to go back to what I thought was a great question about character likability. Oh my God, Haley, thank you, because that was, I wanted to go to that back to my question too. So Haley, go, because I yeah, want to get right, Totally. Yeah. Okay, I will let you tackle the sort of feminist angle of it, because your script is explicitly feminist, and I think that it is a, a big problem for, for female characters. Um, but I'll, I'll just talk about it in terms of like what's going on in my script, where I have a character who is not likable, and that is intentional, because he does pretty bad, unforgivable things. Um, I, I think it's sort of the, uh, the de rigueur answer in that they don't have to be likable, but they have to be understandable. You have to understand why they are doing the things that they are doing. And as long as you understand the motivations, like for example, with my character, he is aging. He doesn't wanna be cut from his cycling team and cycling is his whole identity and he loves it. He's going to do really bad things to keep that, but we, we understand why, because the psychological motivation is understandable. Okay, go, Laura. I, that, Haley, thank you. And I love that. Wow. I love that answer about yours. I'm just absorbing that. Um, no, I, no, I wanted to say, and I love how Haley knew where I was going to go with it, is that, like, I just think it's not about, like, good character versus evil character. It's not black and white. And when you're talking about that in terms of women, which happens to be, you know, it sounds super cliche, but I love female stories and I love multidimensional women. And I actually just don't think that there are enough dimensions of women on, on screen enough. And that's kind of what my work is all about. And I think that, you know, just there are many shades. And with Anne, like I had people say to me with the character in my script, like, it's interesting, like, she's not necessarily like the most likable. And I thought that that was so interesting because it's actually this mother where the end of the movie, like she wakes up and the tragedy is like, she has to just wake up and be a mother and like housewife from that dream that she has in the end. And like, when I write, I want to write what women are thinking on a day-to-day -day basis and not necessarily saying. And these are feelings that women have when it comes to, you know, whether you're a mom or not, just in terms of like sacrifice and there being a part of yourself that, you know, you can't, you can't be. And it's the same thing with Susan being gay in the 1960s, like this whole part of yourself that you have to hide from the world that is still completely relevant now, obviously in terms of how society puts people into boxes and puts women into boxes. And that's kind of what the script is all about. Also, when you're even talking about the blacklist um, in Ideal Woman. So just this idea that it's not like good or evil, black and white. It's just about creating a character that has, you know, the many shades that can do, you know, that portrays like what a woman actually is, you know, and not just this one 
dimension of things, which I just think is shown too much on screen and screen. And, you know, obviously we're making progress, but like needs to be more and more. I would say always be wary. If a male executive tells you to make a female character more likable. Oh, come on. Be very wary of that note. Yeah. Make, make, if that happens, make it more unlikable. <laughs> make her a that's, nasty that's bitch advice. who does what she wants. Yeah. <laughs> that seems like a good place to stop. You've been listening to Movie Maker. Those were our amazing panelists. Their names again, and I'm not blowing smoke when I say I think you're going to hear their names much, much more. Laura Kosan, Byron Hamel, RJ Daniel Hanna, Karen Dela Pena Collison, and Haley Hope Bartels recipients of the Nickel Fellowship for 2021. If you're hoping to win it in 2022, I hope that something that they said inspires you to go out and write something great and personal and that you absolutely love and feel really, really strongly about. Um, Check us out back here anytime. Visit us at moviemaker.com whenever you want. Um, But don't spend so much time with us that you're not writing your screenplay because that is the most important thing. Thank you so much. Good luck with your writing and see you soon.